Welcome into Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two for One Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. Here with my guy Mike Renner on the first episode after the Super Bowl. It's officially draft season. It's been draft season for a while, but this is like the turning point. This is where the draft order is set, all those things. And with that being said, we're going to go over a mock draft, courtesy of Mike Renner, published to PFF.com on Monday morning. Also going to look at our hashtag fun to watch list, each of our top 10 fun to watch players in the 2021 NFL draft class. And then also react to the Super Bowl, of course, react to the latest Carson Wentz news at the top of the podcast. Should be quite the treat. We also have an interview lined up for the back end of the podcast. We interviewed Again, friend of the pod officially, Gregor Rousseau, former Miami, Florida edge defender, had a lot of good things to say about Jalen Phillips. Also, he's in the best shape of his life right now. Just spent the entire season working out. It's a fantastic interview. We'll stitch that in at the back end of the podcast. Let's get it. have a fantastic podcast lined up today. Not only are we officially in the season de la draft, draft season, fresh off the Super Bowl, I got the fresh cut with the little little hair product in there, the new kicks, ready to rock and roll, but I got two very, very good dad stories. I'm giving you a twofer today. I said I'd do the shotgun story on Thanksgiving, but I'm also going to stitch this other story in as well that comes with a visual courtesy of Mike Quinn. Let's oh, start with I didn't know that. the shotgun story. So I've had a handful of like long-term relationships in my life, five to six, but only two have ever met, two have ever met my parents. One time, me, one of the first times one of my girlfriends met my dad or my mom, oh, and my mom, a stepmom. We go to Thanksgiving, it's a good time. And we're, while we're there, my grandma who lives with my dad uh, is like con- the same grandma that like, you know, has been part of this for a yeah. while. Who took a rap. No, no, that's my great grandma. Oh, okay. My grand, my other grandma's still alive and she's rocking. But on okay. Thanksgiving, we're noticing that she keeps a, like there's this like, for the first time ever in my life, my dad's house has like a blanket over the couch. You know how some old people yeah, have yeah, like yeah. blankets on their couch for whatever reason? We had a blanket on our couch. I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, I don't know if he's like trying to doll it up for the girl I brought over or my girlfriend at the time or whatever it was. And, but my grandma the entire time, like as people sit down, she'd go over and adjust it. Like she made sure it was always in like pristine condition. And I'm like, what the is going on like this doesn't make any sense i'm like talking about it with my girlfriend it's like yeah i don't really know what's going on blah 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 my dad on holidays surprising no one gets hammered absolutely hammered and i'm going to preface the rest of the story by the way my dad's a moron this is a bad decision don't make these decisions okay this is this is not a good decision these are bad this is bad my dad gets pretty hammered on holidays and which is totally fine i mean everyone does but he kind of takes it to another level and then by the time all the family's over but at the end of the holiday my dad's just drunk and it's just me my girlfriend and i are staying at the house and it's my grandma that's left it's just us four that are really left at the house my dad starts telling talking about you know recent events or whatever like how things been and all this stuff and he's like oh man i didn't tell you he says he so he recently got a shotgun and he was like, yeah, I've been, I got a shotgun just in case anyone breaks in the house. I got to kill somebody. I was like, that doesn't seem safe for you to own a gun. It's wild that you have one. Um, he's like, yeah, honestly, I made a big mistake recently too. Apparently he got really drunk and was like holding the gun and like had it in his hand and was like saying like, hey, if anyone comes in, blah, 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 I'm going to get somebody. And it was unloaded. He was like, it's unloaded. It's unloaded. It's fine. I wasn't there. This was a couple of days ago yeah. or whatever, before Thanksgiving. He's with my grandma. My grandma... I call her Noni. When you're Italian, you call your grandma Noni. That's kind of like a thing. But Noni's like, you can't be, you know, I don't care if it's unloaded. Like, put that gun away. No one wants to see this. This is crazy. And he's like, I, I told you, it's unloaded. He sticks the gun into the couch, like into the couch, like muffle it or whatever, if it was loaded, and just shoots it. And it has a bullet and it blows a hole through the couch in the back of the wall <laughs> that the couch is against. And that was like why the blanket was there the whole time. And then I'm dying laughing, even though gun violence is not a joke. Don't play with guns, all those stuff. But dying laughing because my grandma's literally like trying to cover the hole the entire day with a hole in the back of his house. It's, it's incredible. It was incredible. Um, but on the theme, I forgot, I can't believe I haven't told this story. So my dad makes a ton of bad decisions. And this is another fantastically bad decision that is great. So my dad and I got into it like late in high school and I wasn't living there for a little bit. And uh, I was living with someone else, whatever. Uh, he texts me one day, he sends me a picture of his arm and it's a tattoo. It's my name, but it's spelled A-U-S-T-O-N, down his arm. I'm with my buddy, like, what the hell just happened? I, I'm crying laughing. I'm like, <laughs> I text my dad. I text my dad. I'm like, dude, 
my name is Austin. He immediately called with an I, obviously. He immediately calls me. He's like, no way. Like, you're kidding. Don't make, no, don't, don't make these jokes. Like, you're kidding. Like, this is not, this, this has to be a joke. I've had your name in my phone as A-U-S-T-O-N for a long time. I was like, how, how the fuck do you even have that? That makes no sense. That doesn't even, you sound it out, motherfucker. I've seen Austin. Austin with an E. I've never seen Austin with an O. So then he's like borderline in tears. I'm in tears laughing. And then I'm thinking about, so I, I've said this before. You always have to think about my dad's stories with the other people in the stories involved. Think about the tattoo artist who's like, dude, you're getting this? Because the tattoo artist can't Austin. be saying, are you sure your son's name is freaking Austin? He's not going to double check him I'm like just going to search Austin to see if there's any. There might uh, be. There's an Austin Matthews who plays hockey. Okay. Maybe a Canadian. Okay. There so might be. Either way, my dad, the tattoo artist obviously didn't say anything. And um, he gets it and he's like, feels like an asshole, whatever it was. He ends up getting like a small eye tattooed in the middle of it. This is the funniest part, the correction. He gets a small little eye tattooed in the middle of the O and then uses the O like a fucking crossword puzzle. And it says like God across the side. So with that being said, there's probably a lot. I've had some people in the YouTube comments say these stories are fake. Dad doesn't seem real. There's no way. Quinn, if you're watching on YouTube, throw the fucking I, image up. I am looking at the picture right now and it's. It's real as can be, unless your Photoshop skills got real dude, good. In, I, in a I texted my dad last time, uh, over the weekend. I was like, "Dude, you got to send me a picture because I'm trying to tell the story on the podcast." And he's like, "Oh man, I hate this story," but he sent it to me anyway. It's hilarious. But all right, I'm looking at it now. the The correction is brutal. It's too. horrendous. It like, is arguably worse than the original tattoo. Yeah, that's like not the, his fault though. That's the tattoo artist. Yeah, that yeah. tattoo artist kind of butchered him there because the, the spacing G, between the, the G, G and is the hanging. L. Like it's rough just hanging out in the middle of his bicep so but what's funny about I'll, I'll, I'll finish with this and then we'll get into the podcast i apologize for taking this long but what's funny is that my dad and i worked together after that at some point we're like relationship mended and worked together at a mechanic shop and everyone at the mechanic shop called me off stone like everyone like made fun of him and awesome. it was freaking fantastic dude so fantastic he also has um the tattoos of my other siblings names on his and they're spelled right fortunately you know you don't really see that often but um it's an incredible story my, my, my the entire football team in high school was like called me off stone for a while it was freaking hilarious dude insane like stuff Austin. my dad bad decisions left and right like i said he's a role model just don't do what he does yeah if you don't fall in his anti, footsteps anti-role model what's the anti-role something yeah. all right anti-hero Let's go ahead and get into the podcast here. Super Bowl reaction. This is an insane game. Not a lot of people saw this coming. If there was going to be a blowout in this Super Bowl, I think people were expecting the Kansas City Chiefs to blow the Tampa Bay Buccaneers out. They were favored by three, three and a half at some points in the two-week stretch over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Tampa Bay at Raymond James Stadium. Like People were expecting the Kansas City Chiefs to go into Tampa Bay and win this football game. They scored nine points, no touchdowns, get blown out by Tom Brady, Todd Bowles, Bruce Arians, and give Brady his seventh ring. What are your initial takeaways, your initial reactions? I don't, did we talk about this? Other, I can't remember now. I talked about it with someone, and I'm like, I just don't see how the Chiefs are the Chiefs offense. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Patrick Mahomes and you have, you know, an all, like, and they do have like an all-pro receiver. All receivers are like all pros, whatever. You can't operate a consistent offense with an offense line that was going to be that overmatched. Like, Yes, Andy Reid should have adjusted and to protect Mahomes better, should have done something to make sure he wasn't under pressure as much as he was and to help that offense line out. But there's only so much you can do when you have an offense line that every single position is liable at a very high rate to lose on that given play. Like, it's not just that there's one mismatch. You can scheme around Aaron Donald being so much better than your left guard. Like, if you have a backup at left guard, you could scheme around that. You can't scheme around every single guy being overmatched along your office line. And the only thing, and like Patrick Mahomes so good that he convinced us all that he could do it, but I think we saw at the end of the day that it's still football, and there's still, when you have that big a disadvantage in the trenches, that you're just, you're screwed. Like, there's no recourse. You can, you can get by for a little. You can have maybe like some explosive plays, and I love the Bucks game plan to just basically say, our front four is going to kick your ass. We're not going to give you any explosive plays. Drive down the field on us. Two safeties deep. Yeah. Like put a drive together without taking that big negative play, without having a sack, without having pressure blow up multiple plays in a row. And they took that gamble, and it they paid ran off. a lot of good games and stunts, too. Like They were rushing yeah. four, but they also did a lot of good stunts that had the offensive line in a tiz. And that's why, like, end of the first quarter or so, or, like, midway through the second quarter, I was like, this game is over. The Chiefs are not – there's no turning it around with the Chiefs. 
they're they're not they are comp- they're too overmatched up front to have any chance. And that was that was it. What what was your reaction to the game plan Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy had? You saw the next gen stats stat that said they were in five man protections ninety two percent of the time. Did not keep a lot of guys yeah. in the block. No six man seven man protections. Were you surprised by that? Because I went into the game thinking, well, Andy Reid's smart. Andy Reid's smart enough to know this is going to be a mismatch, and you're going to see an adjustment. I know he loves to have five on a route, and so does Mahomes. But you're going to have to keep running backs and tight ends into block, and they did it. Did that surprise you at all? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think Andy Reid deserves as much, if not more, blame than Patrick Mahomes. Like, I agree do, with that one hundred percent. He didn't call a good game whatsoever. To that, yeah, to that. But again, it goes back to like, there's not much you can do if you're going to call Max protects, and they're sitting with two deep safeties. You're not getting deep shots, anyways. Like you're just, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. There's really not much they could have. Like there's, yeah, you could try that, but I don't think it was going to be much of a difference if they did. What about the lack of play action passes? Was that just a a part of game script? Or I think Patrick Mahomes only had three play action dropbacks in this game. That is surprising. Uh, I do think though, like with with the Bucks defense, they've eaten up play action. Like you saw them that first Packers game when the Packers started doing boot action, they'll just attack right at the quarterback. Like they don't, they don't really care. And Mm -hmm. I I think we saw that earlier. Shaquille Barrett had like an RPO or early play action pass. Like Barrett went right after Mahomes, didn't even respect the run because they don't have to respect the run because their defensive line's that good at stopping the run. Like they, they, they can sell out to stop the pass seemingly. So yeah, I think the biggest takeaway that I had was like, the Bucs were the most talented team in the NFL this year. Like, it was either the Bucs or the Saints in terms of just, like, top-to-bottom roster talent. You look at how many positional units on this team you would put in, like, the top five quarterback, receivers, offensive line, defensive line, linebackers, their secondary. Those are all top five units, their respective position. Like, that is that was the best team. It was only because, like, the nothing was meshing offensively. The transition. And they're, yeah, the sort of, like, were always less than seemingly the sum of their parts. But this was a damn good football team that kind of just had that, you know, lull throughout the early and midseason. And I think we kind of, like, saw that. Like, they were the better team in that game in terms of, like, talent-wise. I, I think the major takeaway for me was that Andy Reid and Eric bien quite simply got out-coached. Todd Bowles put on an absolute display yeah. defensively. I mean, he was in his bag. I mean, he was one of the better you know, performers in that game in terms of what he did and running the too high, running the stunts up front, making them beat him with underneath passes. And after that initial flurry of some screens and some quick game, like the Patrick Mahomes was in a negative game script, had to push the ball downfield and couldn't. And yes, you could argue this was the worst or one of the worst games we've ever seen from Patrick Mahomes. But he was forced to be a superhero with 92% of the time, only five-man protections, under pressure on over 55% of his dropbacks, a ton of which were in the first 2.5 seconds of the snap, he had to be a superhero. He had to take 80-yard dropbacks. He had to throw out of platform and all those things. Patrick Holmes was forced to do the unthinkable, and Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy quite simply did not put him in a position to succeed. The injuries didn't help, and I get that, and some of that stuff is hard to overcome, but I don't think you can put so much of the blame. I think you said it perfectly. I think you can, you should shift more of the blame onto the offensive coaches for the Kansas City Chiefs than onto Patrick Holmes because I think he did everything in his power. He had some of the most impressive throws I've ever seen this season in this game. The one where he's completely horizontal, 30 yards into the end zone. That was yeah. a dropped pick too, though. Devin White has his hands on that as well. But the other one, the Tyree Kill off platform, like he did the one to Byron Pringle in the corner. Like he did some insane things in this game. Was it his best game? No, one of his worst, absolutely. But I still don't think you put a bulk majority of the blame on him. It's Reed and it's Biennemi for not understanding the mismatch they had in the trenches and not accounting for it with extra extra protection, quick game, whatever they had to do to mitigate it, they just didn't. Also, I want to say someone else who deserves a ton of credit, Bucks GM, Jason Licht. They're drafting over the past three years. Exceptional. They have knocked it out of the park. Just the talent they've added. Vita Vea, Carlton Davis, Devin White, Sean Murphy-Budding, Jamel Dean, Tristan Wirfs, Antoine Winfield on the first three rounds. Like to have those guys, seven impact starters. That's that's, insane. that's like that's how you draft. And their insistence on replenishing mm-hmm. their secondary paid off massive dividends. Even they after that's the, the, that's the thing that doesn't get enough credit for. The best weakest link in their secondary, probably in the NFL. Sean Murphy Bunting was their weakest link in the secondary. Their whole season. What do you have? Two picks in the playoffs? 
and a key pass breakup in the end zone. Yeah, like that that was their weakest link. That is how you have a good pass defense is to have the strongest, weakest link in the NFL, one of the strongest, weakest links in the NFL. Something I wanted to add to that, because I also tweeted how, how they invested in the secondary over the past three seasons has been bonkers. But it came after two drafts in 2016 and 2017 where they invested high picks in Vernon Hargraves and Justin Evans, and those didn't pan out, but they didn't, that just, didn't stop them. That, that's, that's the, the thing. thing. Like they're not, they didn't say, oh, man, we grabbed cornerback last year. We can't keep investing. No, they said we're going to invest in the valuable positions in the NFL every single year. That's why at the back end of your mock draft, I have a take. You have them taking, I think, Najee Harris at 30. And it's what you think the GMs will do, not necessarily what you would do. Mm-hmm. Dude, if JC Horn is there, Asante Samuel Jr. is there, that's where there's some value at the back end of the first round. Yeah. I'm still going to invest in the secondary, continue yeah. to improve in that regard, or add weapons because you do know that Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Brown, and Chris Godwin are all going to be free agents this offseason. I think wide receiver or pass catcher is another option, but I'm not stopping. Jason Lick should not stop investing in the secondary. He has talent for good reason. You're not going to be able to re-sign all of these guys. Again, tip of the cap to Lick. I mean, he was sensational what he did and you hit the nail on the head there they had vernon hargraves they had justin evans they've drafted mike edwards all in the top three rounds none of them were even play- none of them played you know yesterday they no, were not- i think edwards did okay edwards is the only one to play but he was obviously the third safety not start- like they drafted a safety to replace him a year after they drafted him yes like because they realized that if you have a weak link that's where people are going to attack yes that guy gets exposed. Continue to invest in the secondary. Do not let positional need affect your draft status either. Like this is how it's supposed to go. Like you do I don't care what you drafted in the previous year. I don't care what you drafted in the previous two years. Continue to draft the best players available at the most valuable positions. Credit where credit's due for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers front office. Let's go ahead and jump to a dumpster fire of a front office or a situation with Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles. But I, I, I dumpster fire was aggressive. Because if if Roseman gets two first-round picks for he Carson won't. Wentz. That's too that even a first-round pick. That, I think that seems like the floor right now is realistic, but would also be the dumbest thing. I, like one of the dumbest trades I've ever seen. If he gets Carson Wentz at, we've said this a thousand times at his lowest perceived value. Like you are not going to get Carson Wentz lower at a lower value than this, and he still gets a first-round pick plus some other things for him. It's going to be absurd. Yeah. And the other GM that makes that trade, whether it's the Colts. Or the Bears, that's who the two favorites are right now. I think I saw another report that there's a third team involved. But the Colts or the Bears, whichever team does trade the most for him, that's concerning in my opinion. Like, they, I don't think Carson Wentz is that much better than what the Bears currently have. I don't think Carson Wentz is that much better than what the Colts currently have. You don't have to make this decision. But I think a team will, and I think it could happen as soon as today. Two takeaways here. One, how, how like, dumb are some NFL GMs? Like, Trading a first-round pick for a guy that looked like that, I, I don't care like how desperate you are. Roll the dice with that first-round pick. Like, like Have some pride in your ability to evaluate NFL talent You know, at the quarterback position. Obviously, the Bears, whatever. It didn't work out the first time. But like, that's just an absurd... And to take on a contract as well. So that's what, takeaway one. But takeaway two... Carson Wentz should be the poster child for why you draft quarterbacks highly. He ret- if he retains the value of a first-round pick, even after signing a bloated contract and playing like ass, just because he showed a little in an ideal situation, you should not be passing up on quarterbacks in- because of how at the top of the draft because of how well they retain their value just by playing above average football for any period of time. You should not be passing up on quarterbacks because of how much they retain their value. To to get that sort of value back from any other position, they have to be a top three player at their respective position. They have to be elite. That's not the case, quarterback. You can have what one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL last year still get still netting you a first round pick. If that's the case, do not be passing on those guys. Fair. That's a very good take. And I don't think a lot of people are attacking it from that angle. If Carson Wentz like, like if you're the Jets and you're drafting Devonta Smith too. No. Like, yes. Do not do that. The guys were going to retain his value. I'm unconvinced that Sam Darnold won't fetch a first-round pick at this point. Now that Carson Wentz and his contract, because that's the thing. You mentioned it. Like Carson Wentz and his monster contract are going to go for a first, maybe more picks. Sam Darnold might be get traded for a second. I don't know. Like the, the value of quarterbacks is obviously higher than maybe I thought, because I thought Wentz would be going for a day two, day three pick at most. Same yeah. with Darnold. More likely day three. Hearing this situation, it sounds like the Colts, the Bears, and maybe another team are desperate to try and swing the bat on one of these guys. I, I'm blown away by this. Oh, and I had one last takeaway. This is also why you don't 
let lame duck staffs stay when you have the why why you do what why you should do what the Jaguars did and take over control of the roster and force trades like the Jaguars did this past year to gut that roster and then move on from Caldwell instead of what the Lions did and say, okay, you get one more chance to prove yourself. And then they go all in on, you know, like they go all in on what the Bears are going to do is go all in for this year to try to save their jobs and mortgage future draft capital. That's not what you want. Yeah. Like you have to have a long-term plan at the GM and head coaching position to just operate effectively. Short-term decision-making to win now. When you're not a team that's that close to winning now is 99.9% of the time a bad idea. What's the most you're trading for Carson Wentz? Ooh. Oh, man. Third round pick. And, and that's if you're a the team that most. has the cap space to do it and is willing to take him on like an Osweiler type deal, right? Even then, dude, I don't even know if i do a third round pick. That's crazy. And I, I probably I, wouldn't. I'll finish the conversation with this. I think the best landing spot for him is to reunite with Frank Reich and the Indianapolis Colts. That's okay. Like, uh, I, if I'm a team like that, I'll, and I have no other options. Fourth round pick, actually. I'm, I'm declining. <laughs> Drop to a fourth? Right fourth round pick. I, I just can't believe, I, I can't get on board with the idea that Matt Nagy is interested in bringing in Carson Wentz. To go from Mitch Trubisky, an inaccurate quarterback, to Carson Wentz, who is another inaccurate quarterback, is not what Matt Nagy wants to do with the football. And it's he also wants- like Nagy and Peterson were, they have to be somewhat close. Yes. Have to talk maybe a yep. little. At least. Nagy has to be like, hey, what's going on with this Wentz dude? And Peterson just has to be like, you know, it's quit now. Yeah, yeah. But I do think that like Nagy would much rather have a Jimmy G, a Kirk Cousins, a Derek Carr, like one of the more accurate quarterbacks, rather than bringing in Wentz, who Still is like table. arguably less accurate than Mitch Trubisky has been over the past few years. Like that is a huge concern for me. I don't know why the Bears are even involved in this conversation. It's nuts. It's bonkers. All right. Let's now jump to the mock draft. And before I do so, I want to say this. This is the last day to take advantage of the Super Bowl 25 promo code. It gives you 25% off any PFF subscription, including Edge Monthly. Edge Monthly is $9.99. 25% takes you to $7.50. Cost at Chipotle without guac. And that will get you access to the without draft guide. Without double meat, too. So. That will get you access to the draft guide, among other things, in the Edge subscription for a full month. You can cancel after that. You don't even have to, like, you don't have to continue through the offseason, whatever you want to do. You can get access to the draft guide. But if you don't have the 750 and you still want the draft guide, I'm reopening my DMs. You leave a five-star review in Apple Podcasts and send me a screenshot of it in Twitter DMs, you are eligible for a draft guide. How many, I have, how many am I giving out? 50% of the total messages I get between February 8th and February 15th. One week. One, One week, week I'll do it. I gave away over 100, by the way, last time. I had oh, wow. so many DMs. 200 DMs. So many DMs. This time, I don't know if we'll get that many, but I'm challenging you to try. Challenging you to try me. I didn't get any first dates out of those DMs, though. Mm. All draft guide talk. Yeah, my DMs open for that because, well, I'm single now, sadly. You love to see that. You love Not sadly. You you thrive when you're single. You thrive when you're single. All right, uh, let's jump to this mock draft now. You recently dropped a mock draft for PFF.com. That's what everyone wants right now. We had this conversation recently. Mock drafts. You know that quote in Wedding Crashers? Maybe Quinn could play it for us in the podcast, but that quote where he's like, sailing's like sex to these people. They love it. That's what mock drafts are to people. You know what I mean? Like, people love mock drafts. And we're going to go ahead with this one from you. Uh, Number one, you have the Jacksonville Jaguars taking quarterback Trevor Lawrence of Clemson. I haven't seen that. Which is which is crazy. I, it's a, it's a surprise pick for I'm sure. I'm a hot take artist now. I like that. I like that. I sold out for clicks. New York Jets at two take Zach Wilson. Miami Dolphins at three take Panay Sewell of Oregon, the offensive tackle. Carolina Panthers trade up in this mock draft up to number four, take the Atlanta Falcons number four pick and take quarterback Justin Fields, who in other mock drafts from Kuiper McShay. And I think even Jeremiah, we've seen Fields fall outside the top 10. They come up and grab him at four. That leaves the Bengals with Jamar Chase at five. Let's talk. I think those first three picks, I've seen those a lot. I don't know how much I want to talk yeah. about them. I'm just gonna, wait, I just want to say this about Penny Sewell and the Dolphins. No one's going to pass. I don't think a team's going to pass on Penny Sewell for a different positional player. You can pass on for a quarterback. I don't foresee anyone passing on Penny Sewell for another positional player. He's like Chase Young in that regard, where it's just like, I don't care if you got Ryan Kerrigan and Montez Sweat, a guy you just drafted in the first round. You're going to draft Chase Young. You're mm-hmm. gonna, I don't care if you have you know Ryan Ramchick and Teron Armstead. You're going to draft Penesul. He's that good. I don't care if you have Juwan James and Austin Jackson. You're going to draft Penesul. They don't have Juwan James either. But oh, I thought they had Juwan James. Oh, that was He's Denver. Gone for Sorry, two he went years. to Denver. I'm stupid. Buddy. No, Who's their right tackle? Robert uh, Hunt. So oh, I don't care right. if 
definitely don't care if you have Robert. No, but Austin Jackson, Robert Hunt, probably can move Hunt inside. You draft a Penny Sewell. He's that good. Okay, there's my take. At five, uh, at four, let's talk about this trade a little yeah. bit. Now, maybe a little ridiculous because divisional trades, teams don't do that. I don't know why. It shouldn't bother you to steal other teams' picks if they're that desperate to go get a quarterback. Whatever. Let them get the quarterback. Like, be confident in your own ability. Plus, you're not and, trading players in this situation. Yeah, I think exactly. it's a little bit, I like it a little so, bit different. I, I, I don't think that should be a big deal. Maybe teams in their front offices feel otherwise. But again, I don't think it should be a big deal. But the Panthers, I just think they don't want that. You saw the report that they offered up Teddy Bridgewater to the Lions. Definitely some buyer's remorse there. They have the talent offensively to be much better than the what twenty second or something ranked scoring offense, whatever they were. They were a below average offense with objectively above average, well above average skill positions and a good enough offensive line that you can operate behind. Teddy Bridgewater, 66.4 passing grade. You just can do better than Teddy Bridgewater. You got to set your sights higher, especially in that division. So Justin Fields, I think that's who they're going to go attack. I like them taking a quarterback in this class, whether they trade up and go grab Fields or stay put and maybe swing the bat on Lance, even though Lance could even go in the top five themselves. I think they can't afford to go into next year because here's why. I think here's here's a good reason why they should. If they go in with Teddy Bridgewater again, I think they're going to again be picking between like eight and 12. Like Teddy Bridgewater is not, and that roster is not going to take you in the top three territory. And you don't, quarterback purgatory is the worst place to be in the NFL. That's what that, when they signed Teddy Bridgewater, I said that you're putting yourself in this position where you're never going to be in a prime position to get a top two, top three quarterback prospect. And now every draft, there's three guys like this. There's four guys that you take in the top five next year. I don't know if we'll see that. We'll see. But if they start Teddy Bridgewater next year, in addition to not developing a young rookie quarterback, you're going to again be drafting in that tier of like 8 to 12, 8 to 14. Maybe they make the postseason, like the football team, and be in an even worse spot. Like that is the concern I have with Teddy B. Yeah, the Bridgewater move, at the time I said it, this was like objectively the worst move you could make as the Panthers because you're not ready and you're going for a guy who's just limited. Like mm-hmm. he, nothing about his game ever said top 5, 10 quarterback in the NFL. It's like the move that the Bears should have made was go get Teddy Bridgewater with how good your defense is, how good your skill position is. You could maybe like sneak into the playoffs. They also changed the entire coaching staff. Like that, it was going to be very difficult to win with Teddy B. That's like that move just made no sense. You were a team that was primed to get a top three, four pick, get in on the quarterback class, but then you won too many games and now you're going to have to trade up. They should have started Will Greer the entire season. Like honestly. And like if he completely. Will Greer gets you Trevor Lawrence. Yes. And fulfills his destiny. Yes. And that's what you want. I was, on, I was on a po- uh, Patriots podcast recently and I was, uh, they were talking about, well, because about the Mac Jones or should they trade up and go get a quarterback? And, and, and we had this conversation about bridge quarterbacks. Well, don't you need to go make a move for like a bridge quarterback before the next guy? You don't bring your bridge, bridge. quarterback in until yeah. you have a developing rookie. Like you don't, Teddy yeah. Bridgewater is a great bridge quarterback to who? Like you don't have someone developing. Is it Will Greer? Then you should have started him. Uh, yeah, no, that was, it was just a bad decision. I think that's why they ended up firing Herney. Was yeah. it probably was his call. Tough, man. Tough. All right. Bengals take Jamar Chase with Penesel off the board. Let's get to the next picks. Philadelphia Eagles take Devontae Smith of Alabama at six. That's a very common pick these days. Denver Broncos come up and go get Trey Lance. Yeah. They trade up with the, De- the Detroit Lions at seven. Go get Trey Lance at eight. The Atlanta Falcons coming down from four. Take Kyle Pitts. Ooh, I love that. That is one of my favorite picks I've seen you mock. Nine, the Detroit Lions coming down from Denver or with Denver. Take linebacker Micah Parsons of Penn State. And at 10, Caleb Farley of Virginia Tech to the Dallas Cowboys. Let's start at the Denver Broncos coming up for Trey Lance. Mm-hmm. A lot of the reports I've seen are that they're confident in Drew Locke but want to bring in a veteran to compete. I've heard Gardner Minshew as a name, which is like absurd. Oh, Do you think this is a way better decision? And obviously you do, but what's your take on Trey Lance to Denver? Yeah, the Lance is interesting because I feel like the Eagles would be in that mix if he didn't go to North Dakota State. Stop. You think they're that crazy? Really? I'm just saying like you had a quarterback went to North Dakota State, you're going to trade him away. Fans are just going to be like, not another North Dakota State guy. That's immediately what it, it's that, going to happen. But that I wasn't quite like my a, a multi-million-dollar franchise can't let same same helmet scouting fans affect what they make at number six, which is again another million-dollar, multi-million-dollar decision. Yeah. Philly They're, hates everybody, though. They could draft Jesus, and they'd be like, "Oh, this guy's so What know, are we doing? I haven't yeah. seen enough tape. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so talk more about. But that. I just think they're they're the most intriguing team to me right now because. Roseman's no dummy about positional value. 
that's we know for certain. He's always coveted the valuable positions, wide receiver, tackle, defensive end, corner. corner. That's what he's kind of gone at in the draft-wise. So quarterback would be on, like he made the play to get Wentz. Like he made that massive play to go get Wentz. Do they make the similar play to go? Are they like the ones convincing the Jets, hey, no, you want Darnold. Like you want <laughs> you want to ride with him. Trust me. He'll, this is the year. We'll go take Zach Wilson. No big deal. Um, possibly. They're to me the biggest wild card in the draft because of that, because they have a history of that. But in this one, like I said, Trey Lance on the board. I think he makes a lot of sense to Denver Broncos. Cannon for an arm. Not a guy you're one. Like you're not gonna. He's gonna come in. Drew Locke's gonna get a sh- shot. Like you get to keep. Yeah. Drew Locke. You get to give him that other year that so many Broncos fans, or not so many, some Broncos fans are still holding out hope that he could be that guy. And that's fine. Lance gets to sit a year on the bench and see what not to do, kind of like you with your dad. He gets to say, hey, this is how I don't play the game of football. Then he comes in year two and Lance balls. I think that's where I would like to go. If I'm the I honestly think this is an ideal situation for Denver. Because I think I, I agree that I think there's even some parts of the front office that want to give Drew Locke another opportunity yeah. with this young receiving core, this offense, whatever. You get to do that with Trey Lance. Trey Lance has only played one game over the past like 12 plus months. You're not going to start him week one, but you do have him as that developmental piece behind Drew Locke. And if Drew Locke tanks, you're in a good position to give Trey Lance some opportunities yeah. or let him tank for 16 games and get a higher draft pick and then fit Lance with some weapons going into 2022. Here's the thing, though. If they go with this strategy, I hope the front office lets them know, and, and Vic Fangio lets them know, I am not on the hot seat if you want me to start Drew Locke for 16 games <laughs> next year. Because uh, some people have you asked me, be, some people really have asked be. me about Fangio and why hasn't he been fired. It's like, are you serious? This guy should not be on the hot seat. He's working with you know bad, bad parts. Like this quarterback has not played well. Yeah. Drew Locke is on the hot seat. There are people who want Fangio out of Denver more than they want Drew Locke out of Denver, and I just can't get on board with that. I can't. They, they had, they lost their best defensive player and they still had one of the best teams. like they, Dude, they had, had they had shambles in the secondary and still were one of the more yeah. productive Plus, secondaries Bouye and Von Miller or like Bouye barely played and you still had a light idea because Vic Fangio one of the best defensive coordinator like you could scheme yeah. like De- if Denver lets Fangio get out of there man I would be floored like they let Drew Locke tank them into like three or four wins and then they leave on Fan- I would hate to see that I really would alright let's jump to one of my favorite picks here Kyle pissed to Atlanta. There are going to be some people who are like, you got Redley, you got Julio. No, I said this again. I said this before, I'll say it again. There is not a single team in the NFL with enough weapons to pass on Kyle Pitts, specifically at eight overall. I've said that with the Dallas Cowboys. I'm going to say that with the Atlanta Falcons. I really do think Kyle Pitts is a monster coming to Atlanta. I'd love this fit. Yeah, his in terms of rarity of skill set, like he's more rare than any of these receivers. He's rarer, one of those two, more rare. More rare than all these receivers. Rarity of skill set, like him, he's right up there with Sewell and Parsons. He may be the most rare of those guys coming out. Like you don't see guys who he's probably going to be up to about 250 by draft time who just move the way he does and have his receiving ability. I can't can't remember the last guy to come out that that is as good as he is as a tight end prospect. Like Kelsey obviously has developed over time. Gronk was a different type of tight end. Waller developed over time. Kittle was, you know, barely even utilizing that offense. Pitts, you've like seen it all already. Seen all the things that you could want that translate to the NFL as receiver. And he's much improved as a blocker to let to actually have people respect him as an inline blocker. Yeah, I mean, like Cal Pitts, he's a dude. If you're the Falcons, that could take you to another level offensively. Parsons do Detroit. I also really like Chris Spielman, dude. That's just like it's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. Just chalk it up right now. Caleb Farley to Dallas at 10. Let's get to the next picks, though. 11, you have the New York Giants taking Patrick Sertan, the second of Alabama. San Francisco 49ers grab Quiddy Pay of Michigan, the edge defender. Los Angeles Chargers, Rayshon Slater of Northwestern, the offensive tackle. Could play guard, too. Um, And then Minnesota Vikings, defensive tackle Christian Barmore of Alabama at 14. And then the New England Patriots, not Mac Jones, wide receiver Jalen Waddell of Alabama at 15. Let's start there. Because I've had a lot of conversations about Mac Jones, the Patriots at 15. Yeah. You've said this before, and I'm going to echo it. Set your sights higher. Mac Jones, yeah. I think the ceiling for Mac Jones is he plays to the level of a Kirk Cousins on his rookie deal. And then on his rookie deal, the team can build around him to a point where you can compete for a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily be a favorite for one, but compete for one. The New England Patriots roster is bad. Defensively and offensively. But worst receiving core in the NFL. Worst receiving core in the NFL. The defense is old. 
Like they're going to be losing some guys. They might yeah. trade away Stephon Gilmore. You're better off starting Jared Stidham. Don't get a bridge quarterback. Just screw the bridge quarterback. Again, yeah. You're better off starting Jared Stidham and, and getting Jalen Waddle here, letting him develop with Stidham, whatever that looks like, and then drafting one or two next year and grabbing Rattler or Howell, whoever it may be. They should have tanked this year. You know, instead they go for Cam Newton. They try and push. I think this is an interesting conversation. This is the Bill Belichick legacy has been in the conversation lately with Tom Brady winning a Super Bowl without him. Some people are calling him overrated. I heard um, Gary Vee on Clubhouse, which is a new like audio platform, new social media platform, talk about how Bill Belichick could go down as one of the more overrated coaches in the in NFL history if Tom Brady wins like two or three Super Bowls without him. And I think that's eating at Bill Belichick a little bit. You know how much of a competitor Bill Belichick is. I think. You could tell Bill Belichick, hey, the best opportunity for you to get back to a Super Bowl is for you to lose 16 games this season. Say they told that in 2020. He's not doing it. Like, he is a guy that thinks he can win without a good quarterback. He thinks he's built his team to be quarterback-proof. It's why he's won so many times when Tom Brady was hurt, why he went 11 games with 11 wins with Matt Castle. But that's not the case when your roster is as bad as it is now. Like, maybe he could win with a Cam Newton with a better roster, but it's bad. Like, this New England Patriots team is in such a bad spot from a roster perspective that grabbing Mac Jones and trying to win with him is just not the the um, shortest path to another Super Bowl. The shortest path, I think, is tanking in 2021, letting Sidham develop, and then hopefully grabbing one of the top quarterback prospects next year. That's the thing. If you're drafting a QB here, you're just you're not recognizing where you're at as a roster. Yes. You're bad. It's not a good roster. They were not built to – like you're not going to compete for Super Bowls with that roster. And, it's, and your best players – are old because here just let me le- read off their first top three round picks from 2015 on these are the guys they drafted the first three rounds i'm ready malcolm brown defensive tackle jordan richard safety genio grissom defensive end cyrus jones cornerback joe tooney guard jacoby Brissett, vincent valentine defensive tackle Derek rivers defensive end antonio garcia tackle isaiah Wynn tackle sony michelle obviously running back duke dawson cornerback Akil Harry, wide receiver, Juwan Williams, cornerback, Chase Winovich, defensive end, Damian Harris, running back, Yadni Kajus, tackle. And then this past year, Kyle Duggar, safety, Josh Uchi, outside linebacker, Anthony Jennings, linebacker, Devin Asiasi, and Dalton Keene, tight ends. That's one of the worst draft histories over that span, or worst draft thing histories over that span of any franchise in the NFL. That's awful. That's why you are where you are if you're the Patriots, because you hit on what? Two guys, two quality starters over that span in Isaiah Wynn. Joe Tooney, and you hit on maybe one more guy who's like borderline that and Chase Winovich. That's about it at this point. You did not, you have not gotten impact players from your top picks. And when you don't get impact players from your top picks, the base of your roster just erodes because there's only so long you can rely on those guys on their second contracts before it gets too expensive. And it kind of did what we saw last year where Brady was obviously too expensive for them. They moved on. Don't have a great backup plan. Tried to win with Cam Newton, but they shouldn't have because yeah. they weren't good enough. Yeah. And I think if you're going to, you know, because there is the argument like, well, let's develop a quarterback in this class. Don't take him at 15. You're better off taking Jamie Newman, Kellen Mond, or Felipe Franks on day two, day three, and developing guys with, like, legitimate, like, arm talent, right? I don't believe in necessarily developmental quarterbacks. I believe in trading up. If you're going to get a quarterback and not, not waiting, go up and get the guy. But, again, Mac Jones set your sights higher than Mac Jones but going up and getting a guy for the Patriots because that's another but like, part of the conversation day, day two is where you need to build more starters that's where like they need Fair. to hit on depth than this on that roster so I don't think the roster is in a position though where you'd feel confident trading up to go get even Fields or Wilson or Lance because yeah. like you're even when you trade all that capital to go get him he's going to be in a situation where there's not a lot of talent around him and and that again is concerning this is not where you want to be as Patriots fans and I know we're talking to Patriots fans right now. This is hard. This is a tough pill to swallow. You're not going to be good for a couple seasons after yeah. dominating the NFL for 18 plus years. And I'm telling you right now, it's like I know a lot of Raiders fans. I'm from Oakland, California. If you told Raiders fans, hey, you need to tank before you can get to the playoffs again, like, dude, they'd be signing up for it. Like, oh, two win seasons? We're all about it. We've been there. But Patriots fans and Bill Check included, it's That's like, it. Too much. I don't know if I could do it. Like, I, this is a weird place to be. Like, well, meanwhile, like other franchises are like, dude, I'll tank any one season to go get a top quarterback and try and turn this thing around. And it's not just like tanking. Like, you don't have to intentionally like do what the Jaguars did and really like sell off all your top pieces. It's more just recognizing where you're at as a roster. Yeah. You know? The other interesting picks I wanted to hit on here. One, the Quiddy Pay to 49ers. Just John Lynch has committed to 
investing in the defensive line at all costs over the course of his tenure there. So I don't, I, I don't think that changes. Like I don't think the strategy necessarily changes there. They want that as a cornerstone of their defense and everything builds off of that. So I could very much see them being the first guy, first team to dip into the edge class. And the Minnesota Vikings, I know everyone wants edge for them. Greg Russo has probably been in a zillion mocks to them for good reason. But I think defensive tackle is the scarcer position in this draft class. You won't find a guy close to Christian Barmore's skill set in the second round. You just won't. He's that good. He's in a class of his own. This defensive tackle class It's not even really particularly close. There might not be another guy that is even a competent pass rusher drafted in this defensive tackle class. It's just not good. Barmore, though, what he did against Notre Dame, what he did against uh, Clemson, no, excuse me, Ohio State, she's special. He is special. I would not be passing on him at 14. All righty, let's jump to the next few picks here. Uh, at 16, Arizona Cardinals take Christian Derisaw of Virginia Tech. At 17, the Las Vegas Raiders grab Nick Bolton, linebacker, Missouri. 18, Miami Dolphins grab linebacker Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa of Notre Dame. At 19, Washington football team grabs tackle Elijah Vera Tucker of USC. And at 20, big riser here, the t- uh, Chicago Bears grab tackle, North Dakota State tackle, Dylan Radens. Let's start there. Raiden's big senior bowl week. You like him at 20. He could be going high. Like you like this. Is this his ceiling in this mock or in the first round? Do you think he goes higher than 20? I don't know. I mean, Jim Nagy is had him over Penny Sewell heading into the season. So Nagy's been banging the table for him going super high. I think it's kind of with the depth of the tack class teams that are drafting in the top 10 to 12 will be like, hey, I can get one in the second round and get Liam Eikenberg need be let me go elsewhere so i do think that's why i kind of there's a lot of there's what the three jet just came off the board from 16 to 20 there i think that's where you start to see guys some of this tag class come off the board and i wouldn't be surprised if raiden's like jumps like vera tucker or mm-hmm. you know dare saw this class he's i thought that was high for vera level tucker of, too. he's that level of athlete like he's an explosive offensive tackle that like was it tristan worth said broad jump translates i bet he has i bet he has good broad jump but he's gonna have a pretty good one Explain to me Raiders taking Bolton over JOK from Notre this Dame. One's, this one's reading Mike Mayock, the tea leaves here. Love it. What has is, what is Mayock done? Veteran, experienced guys, leaders. Hard nose. Hard dose. Tone setters. Mm. First in, last out. Gritty. Gritty. Although that was not Lunch what's his face, Ohio State, Damon Arnett. That was not Damon Arnett. No. But all the other it ones. He was first out. Yeah. All the other ones, that type. Hasn't worked out, but this good news, Bolton's actually good and that type. So I like it. And fills the need of linebacker, which has just been, man, that. I still think they're getting into the edge class. I think they're going to grab a Rousseau or an Owe or a Pay. Everyone's mocking linebacker to them. Bradley knows that this defense doesn't work unless I get some pass rushing help. And I think while there are projects in this class, like you're, I think it's it's too good at 17 to pass on like a Rousseau. Or oh no! no I would, yeah, I, th- I think linebacker would be a foolish move. I kind of agree. All right, let's go to twenty-one. Indianapolis Colts grab the guy who's going to be on the podcast later, edge defender Gregor Rousseau of Miami at twenty-two. Did Elijah- you ask him how much he weighed? How much does he weigh now? I said he said he's close to two sixty or something. How long are his arms? I didn't ask him how long his arms were. Okay, I don't God think he's measured it, that Austin. yet. His Why pro day, I think, is at the back end of March. Okay. We're going to be ready for it. All right. He did say he has some really good things to say about Jalen Phillips. Yeah. He said he watched every Miami game this year, and he wore the I 15. I would hope. <laughs> what do you mean you would hope? The guy played there. <laughs> I mean, sometimes he's working, okay? Some people are grinding. Okay, He can't always afford to, like, leisurely watch a game, okay? He's, that guy said he's in the best shape of his life. He's been working out, like, five times a day. I would also hope. Yeah, so fair know. enough, fair enough. All right, uh, 22, Tennessee Titans take Elijah Moore of Ole Miss, who we will be having on the podcast on Wednesday. And then New York Jets, we have cornerback J.C. Horn of South Carolina. Pittsburgh Steelers grab linebacker Zayvon Collins of Tulsa. And then that's a fit. It's just too good. Zayvon Collins to Pittsburgh is awesome. And Jacksonville Jaguars take safety Trayvon Morig of TCU. I have a take on the safety class that I want to bring up. But are we forgetting? Are too many people forgetting about Javon Holland? of Oregon. I didn't play this year. Former five-star from Oakland, Bishop O'Dowd High School. Oh, okay. The dude moves so well. I he's think smooth. I don't think, are, he's that, I don't think he's an explosive athlete, though. He's smooth, though. Yeah. He's smooth. He's and good. I think he's got... I, I love what he did in the slot for them. I think Javon Holland is going to get slept on a little bit because he didn't play this past year. Mm-hmm. And you're going to see him legit, like, as a second-round pick, maybe back into the second-round pick, like, That's take off for goes. a team. I think yeah. he could have a legit impact as a second-round player. Uh, bring it... it 
I had to bring Shoot it up. I, I, I was watching. No, I was watching more of the class, and I like forgot about him. I mean, it's easy to like you're watching so much 2020 tape. You turn back on the 2019 tape. There was a handful of plays. You turn on the Stanford game. I just don't think he's quite the athlete of the we'll other see. top. We'll see. come pro day, dog. All right, let's talk more about these picks. David Collins in Pittsburgh is awesome. I like J.C. Horn as high as 23 to the New York Jets. Yeah. Elijah Moore over Kadarius Tony over. Uh, Rondell Moore over Rashad Bateman. You got Elijah Moore going high to the to the Tennessee Titans of all teams. I think, and I mean it's because of kind of what he did versus some J.C. Horn this past year. Like he can get dude. He got J.C. Horn. Yeah, a like bit. he can get open. Uh, and I don't think he's just slot. Like he played the slot there, but I don't think he is. Like I think he is has good enough ball skills. Can get off press coverage. I I think this guy is your number two option with AJ Brown that can. And they're going to need someone there. Honestly, I think they need someone who's like a little faster than even Corey Davis because with the way that offense operates, going down the field, like it, it, it is attacking the intermediate and deep levels of the football field. And if you don't have someone else with some speed, teams can put their attention towards A.J. Brown because it is a lot of you know, two wide receiver stuff there. Um, so I, I, I think Elijah Moore would be a good fit specifically for the Titans and what they want to do. All right, let's speed through the next few picks here because we got to do our hashtag fun to watch list. Yeah, yeah. All right, 26, Cleveland Browns grab Jason Owe of Penn State, Baltimore Ravens edge defender Aziz Ojulari of Georgia, who we had, I believe, on the Thursday or Wednesday episode of Tier 4 and Drafts. Go back and check that out. At 28, we have Mac Jones of Alabama going to the New Orleans Saints. 29, Green Bay Packers finally grabbed their first-round receiver. It's Rondell Moore of Purdue. Uh, Buffalo Bills grab tackle Taven Jenkins of Oklahoma State, who the more I watch this film, that guy's a, a Gruden grinder, a, a, a oh. lunch pail type that I think a lot of teams will really like. Is he in fun to watch rankings? He is not in my fun to watch oh. rankings, but he probably should have been. I have another tackle, though, that I think is also very fun to okay. watch. Uh, Carlos Basham Jr. of Wake Forest to the Kansas City Chiefs at 31. And then the Buccaneers, this is my least favorite pick in the mock, running back Najee Harris of Alabama. They, Jason Licht is not making this mistake, okay? And I like Najee Harris, great running back. He is. He did draft a corner kicker in the second round, so fair, never say never. Fair, but I. I mean, this is just so much. Rashad Bateman's still on the board, but I think he learned his lesson after. Kadarius that. Tony's like, oh, still on the board. What was I doing with Chris Godwin and Rob Gronkowski and Antonio Brown all hitting the free agent market? Maybe don't bring all those guys back. I think you have to go pass catcher here, especially with how this mock fell out. Bateman yeah. is still on the board. I'm taking Bateman they at. Got 32. Tyler Johnson, dude. Tyler Johnson can ball. Um, I know Tyler Johnson can ball. Najee Harris. I mean, he's a legitimate upgrade over the running back group, though. They run the ball. They fucking run the ball a lot. And when you run the ball a lot, we we always, you know, say, hey, you don't want to invest in a running back because you don't. We don't want you to invest in a running game. The Bucks aren't going to change. You know, Bruce Arians, Tiger ain't changing his stripes at this point in his career. You don't believe in Super Bowl any? God no, dude. That touchdown was like a. Straight line. I could have had. I could have had that one touchdown. Right. Wow. The playoff Lenny slander slash Super Bowl Lenny slander is uncalled for. But also free agents. So. Unnecessary. Um, the other interesting ones here, in my opinion, Jason Owe, the zero sacks. I don't think that's going to move the needle for the Browns. They're not. They're smarter analytically than that to say, oh, zero sacks. You can't sack the quarterback. No, it's not how it works. He's also gifted. Gifted athlete. That guy is insane. Yes. Monster. Uh, Mac Jones, the Saints. There's a team and an offense that could Mac Jones could excel in in the NFL. Yeah. Like that, the way Sean Payton dials it up, which I've come around to the term dials it up this year. Love dials it up. I hate it. Okay. I'm just kidding. I like it. <laughs> dials it up. That's Mac Jones. That's what he does best. Not all offenses in the NFL are going to dial it up for Mac Jones that way. Sean Payton will dial it up. Jesus so I'd love that fit. And then. Uh, last one, Carlos Basham. Chiefs got to go edge. Pass rush has to get better. Worst, lowest ranked edge pass rushing group in the NFL this past season. Man, that's rough. That's tough. Basham Jr. at 31, too, I think is good value. Yeah. Um, let's jump to now our hashtag fun to watch rankings. So if you don't know this, on 2 for one drafts, we hate when people say fun to watch on Twitter or anywhere about a prospect because it's not a take. It's not anything. I saw someone tweet out that this running back class is fun to watch. Like, Kill me. Every running back class is probably fun to watch. I, I, I just don't get it. I don't get it. Just say something definitive, you know, unless you're just having fun. Because I also will tweet out some things where like, oh, that was sick. Like, that's fine. But like, when you're talking about like a prospect, I feel like you have it's to bring something. Yeah, you have to bring something to the table. It's, so, it's masquerading as a take when it's nothing. Yes, yes, that's true. 
But I think it's football is fun. And when you are putting tweet copy together, it's fun to have fun with the tweet copy. But when you're talking about a prospect and like there's some tweets where like it's like Najee Harris parentheses 62 244, whatever the fuck. And it's like it's fun to watch. Like, come on. OK, well, what are we doing here? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I, like, is that does that go in his pros? Yeah. Or does that go in his cons? How often are you putting fun to watch in your pros? I need to know. Haven't put once. All right. Well, I have my fun to so watch nope. list. I'm going to read off my top three. Then you go your three. And then okay. we just keep going. My top three. Trevor Lawrence, Nick Bolton, Kyle Pitts. Like those three players are three of the most fun players to watch in this class. Trevor Lawrence, because the aren't I mean, this might be the best quarterback prospect we see in a long, long time. Nick Bolton, he hits harder than anyone in this class. And then Kyle Pitts is legitimately different. You talk about scarcity. This guy is rare. I haven't seen your list, by the way. This is my list. That's my yeah. top three. All right. Mine, number one, Trevor Lawrence. The funnest to watch. <laughs> Two, Kadarius Tony, Florida wide receiver. He has that movement, whatever ability that it's fun as hell to watch. Yeah. Uh, and then three penny Sewell, because I'm an offensive line guy at heart. I like that. I, 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 I sympathize, empathize one of those two with the big fellas because they don't get a lot of credit and they deserve far more than they get. And Penny Sewell's tape is just O line porn, shall we really say? It really is. All right. My next three I got Kadarius Tony. Same reasons, just different player on the field. I got back to back Florida players, Pitts, then Tony. At five, this one might surprise people. Asante Samuel Jr. Instinctive. I love the instinctive back-end players, and he's physical and tackles above his weight. I really do think his tape, especially on the All-22. Like If you don't have access to the All-22, you probably don't come away with too many fun-to-watch takes. But his tape on the All-22, when he's you know picking up different concepts and stuff, it's awesome to see. He's Wait, the guy I want to get say? on the pod to just rip through some tape with. And then who'd number six. Huh? I, was, I was spaced out. Who'd you say? Asante Samuel Jr. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Keep going. At six, I have Christian Derisaw, who is, okay. like Tevin Jenkins, just an absolute yeah. bully. I like I like Derisaw a lot. Derisaw's fun. All right. Mine four are Darius Washington, the TCU safety. You had to. Knew I had to. Five foot eight, 179 pounds. I was actually looking through weights. He would be a, the smallest guy called a safety if he weighed in at the combine at 179 pounds ever. Wow. Yes. Now, Tyron Matthews, same size, but with, came in as a cornerback listed. So, caveat there. Number five, Rondell Moore, Purdue. The the OG, Kadarius Tony, before Kadarius Tony turned into just something completely different. The man, Rondell Moore, is so fun to watch. And then number six, Zach Wilson. Nice. He's got to still give love to the QBs. His his throws, his highlight reel is the best. Now, Trevor Lawrence is more fun to watch because the way he plays quarterback position is just like utterly dominant. Zach Wilson's his throws are more fun to watch. All right, I'm going to read my next four here. And I try to bring in some guys who are like going to go on day two, day three, because I didn't want the entire list to just be first-round guys. But okay. I went Aline McNeil, NC State, oh, and that yeah. includes his high school Highly tape. High school that tape, includes yeah. his high school tape. Then I went, surprising, James Wiggins. People are going to forget about it. People are going oh, to forget hits. about it. James Wiggins hits hard, plays aggressive, very instinctive, a baller, in the, especially in the clutch. Just turn on his fourth quarter games, and he is he's nuts. Then I got... Had to throw a running back in because the running backs are fun to watch. When Javante Williams, who is a brick house, brings the heat, forces missed tackles with reckless abandon. That Miami game is borderline illegal. I think the NFL, I mean, the FBI is looking into it like for assault because <laughs> it's that bad. But Javante Williams fun to watch. And then lastly, because I'm not letting this guy fall out of the cracks here. Quinn Miners, baby. Oh, How about fun to yeah. watch? That was the most fun to watch we've seen like a lot of offensive line at the senior bowl in a I long time. I debated Miners. Miners, great addition. He's in at 10. Or however you say his last name. All right. Good list. Good list. Number seven, I had Landon Dickerson, Alabama center. Oh, that's a good one. Because he's it. just teabag machine, like what? rolls up on dudes. <laughs> teabag <laughs> machine? I mean, when you pancake a guy and you roll. Okay, never mind. I guess that's. He dials up the. Uh, dials up the teabag. Yeah, there you go. Simi Fajoko <laughs> comes in at number eight, the Stanford wide You're receiver. You're sick. He's not fun to watch. Oh, he's so fun to watch. He's his. The dude ex- is so goddamn explosive. I mean, it's like DK, like I said, the. I don't know what race is. So whatever. The the Mormons, uh, DK Metcalf. He's from Utah. I just, I guess, assume he's Mormon. Um, that dude's explosive as hell. Like, he just, to see a guy six foot four, 228 pounds, just blow up, blow through pe- press coverage without even like a move. He just runs. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, number nine, Andre Cisco, Syracuse safety. Just running around so recklessly on the back end with like a four three speed, not giving a damn. Oh, awesome safety tape to watch. And then 10, a little off the beaten path. Oklahoma cornerback Trey Brown. Nice. Watching a five foot nine cornerback play press coverage and beat guys up. It's reminiscent of a Meek Robertson last yeah. year, but I think he's a better outside cornerback than Meek Robertson was. I think Meek Robertson is like 
a slot of Meek Robson, the LA Tech guy who went drafted to the Raiders. But Trey Brown, like he had reps against Tylen Wallace, where it just like Wallace didn't get off the line. Because five foot nine guy couldn't get off the line. Trey Brown, fun to watch. What a fantastic podcast this has been. Mock draft, Super Bowl reactions, Wentz trades, and then the fun to watch list. And now the Gregor Rousseau interview. Yeah. Let's jump to it. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Joining the 241 Drafts podcast for the second time now, officially a friend of the podcast, is none other than former, former Miami Edge defender Gregory Rousseau. I'll call you Greg, though. We're, we're close like that. We're, that, we're at yeah. that point where we're close. But it's great to have you back on the podcast. I know it's probably been a very weird season for you. Obviously opted out of the 2020 season due to COVID-19 concerns and have just been training your ass off since really the yeah. break and just watching as much football as you can but not necessarily participating. How weird has this season been for you? I mean, it's been wild for sure. I haven't missed a year of football since I was eight years old. So it's definitely wow. been super different just watching and not playing in the fall. But I feel like I've made the most out of it by, um, by making sure I kept my work ethic and kept my working hard and improving on areas of my game, which I need to be, which I know need to be improved before I, I make that jump to the next level. Well, what everyone's thinking right now about Greg Russo is what has he been doing, you know, over the past year to prepare for your pro day, to prepare for the NFL? Because obviously one year of tape there at Miami, Florida, people want to know yeah. how is this guy getting better as he approaches the NFL? Walk me through a typical week for you during this season or even a day-to-day, a daily schedule that you've been, what's your training regimen like? Well, now I work out six days a week, but before during the fall, I was working out five days a week and Every single day I'd have an hour of like linear movement or multi-directional stuff. And then I'd have an hour of lifting, but uh, three days a week, I would do position work where I'd work things like my hands, my get off, you know, all the D-line things that, that I need to get ready for the next level. I've been uh, learning new moves. I worked with Chuck Smith. He used to play for the Falcons. He's a, mm-hmm. he's a real well-known D-line coach. He's a guru. I've been working with Fred Robbins here at Excel since Pensacola. He's been teaching me a lot of stuff. He, he played for about 11 years and won a Super Bowl with the Giants. So I've been definitely taking in knowledge from different coaches and I feel like I've been getting better at all parts of my game and also really focusing on aligning on making sure that I'm just as crisp on the right side as I am on the left side, because when you go to the league, you don't know where they're going to play you at. And also been still been working my interior stuff too. Chuck Smith, man, I've talked to him before. I remember when I was interviewing Brian Burns, Burns talked about Chuck Smith as this guy that really is that guru. That's awesome that you're working yeah. with him because, you know, something that you can do without playing football is obviously work on the combine drills, try and get faster, try and get stronger. But it's hard to really work your moves unless you are working with a guy like Chuck Smith trying to get those moves going. I'm glad you brought up, you know, you don't know where they're going to play you in the NFL. At Miami, Florida in 2019, you played across the board, man. You're playing yeah, on the everywhere. edge, played on the interior, played some off-ball linebacker. Are you planning when you go to the NFL to be played in a versatile role? I know you said you've talked to some NFL teams before we started recording. What are some of the teams saying about what your ideal role is in the NFL? Uh, they, they haven't talked about it too much. So, like, the feeling I get from them is, like, I'm an edge, but I'm also an edge who can move inside. So, I feel like I am an edge rusher, but also I have the versatility to play three-tech, to to play the right right end, to play the other three-tech. So, I feel like – I feel like all, and also I feel like I drop back in the coverage, you know, drop to the flats if I need to guard some running backs or whatever the scheme calls for. I feel like I'm real versatile, and I feel like that's really going to help me in the next level because I feel like I'm not limited by any scheme that I'm in because I've, I've played in so many different spots before. So, I'm really I'm really excited to see who's interested in me and who picks me and what, and what they – um what type of defense they run and how I can fit into that defense. It'd be like kind of like a chess piece. I feel like it's going to be real interesting and a lot of fun. Yeah, sure. I think I think chess piece comes up a ton when you, you read other scouting reports, even here at PFF. You see this guy as a chess piece because yeah. you have multi-gap versatility. You have the length, the, the 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 height, the size, the weight, the athleticism to play multiple positions along the defensive line or even at outside linebacker. So that's definitely awesome yeah. here. So working at Exos down there in Pensacola, where I know a lot of other draft prospects go, I think they have a, a place out there in Pensacola, another place in Arizona. What combine yeah. drills are you preparing for the most or specifically and what goals are maybe you setting yourself setting for yourself maybe in the 40-yard dash broad jump etc uh my goal my goals are really just to perform the best that I can get the most out of myself 
uh, with drills and stuff like that. It's really my goals are just to look smooth, you know, and show that I've been working at it, and show that I've gotten better with it. Because I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't the best at like hitting bags and all that stuff while mm-hmm. I was in Miami. Because we didn't really do too much of that in practice. We worked more like, you know, people, you work more with people, I feel like, in practice, like hitting, yep. hitting other D linemen who are standing there. So I feel like I've been working a lot of those things. And also, I feel like, oh, well, well what, what I've been working at the Exos is, I mean, when it comes to like running the 40 and broad jump, I'd say my goals are probably to hit like maybe a four six broad jump to be to be um above above nine for sure. My strength coaches always say it has to be above nine. Vertical to be in the in the thirties, in the mid thirties, and and L drill and shuttle. I haven't I haven't really picked a number yet, but I'm just trying to get I'm trying to get all my time still. So and just be consistent whenever I run my drills. So yeah, that's about it though. But I'm really looking forward to my pro day because it's like a substitution for the combine. So I'm 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 ready to I'm ready to go show out. Yeah, Miami's pro day. I know you said this was on March 29th, so you still have some time to prepare. After spending yeah. entire football season, like you said, you haven't spent a football season away from football since you were eight. But spending it entirely working out, would you argue you're like in the best shape of your life? I I feel like I can't imagine anything else. Yeah, yeah definitely. My body fat went down like three percent. So I feel oh like my I'm god. In I mean, sure. I could pray. I could pray for that number. I would love to go down three <laughs> percent here in body fat. Um, how much film have you been watching throughout this process? Because I know I, so much of your day is probably in the weight room and doing those things, but yeah. are you watching a ton of film as well? Yeah, definitely. I watch all the NFL games just like casually. I when, I, when it's like a Sunday, I'll definitely like pick players like Calais Campbell and and uh, Joey Bosa, Burns. You know, uh, Chase Young. I've been watching a lot of them, just looking at what they do, look, looking at the little things and how they move. And how they go go from play to play, and how they set up other, and how they set up their counter moves and their the next moves that they use during the third or fourth quarter. So yeah, I've been watching a lot, and I'll, I've also been watching a film on myself from the 2019 season and looking at all the things that I could have done better. I feel like I could have, I feel like if I played this year, I would I would have made a lot of a lot of strides, and I I see a lot of things that were just really young in my game that I, I can't wait to get to the next level and improve on. Let's talk about moves for a little bit. Pass rush moves are so important when you're playing along the edge or even on the interior. And people talk yeah. about edge defender versus offensive tackle a lot like they do cornerback versus receiver. You're playing the matchup. You have to beat them with technique. You have to do these different things. Like a release for a wide receiver is like a pass rush move for an edge defender. What What's your take and where are you at right now with adding pass rush moves to your tool belt? Do you have a primary move? What counter are you working? I'd love to hear more about that. Uh, the counter I'm working on is just being able to long arm off of different things. Like let's say I throw a scissors and it doesn't work, just being able to long arm and convert and maybe go under 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 the uh, off the tackle from ready to level the quarterback. I've been working that. I learned the cross chop from Chuck Smith. That's a pretty cool move. I can't wait to use it. Especially I feel like it'll work good inside, mm-hmm. just because you get that that jump, that kind of like that jump through when you just create that space. So so those are two moves that. I've really been looking at also been working to spin a little bit. You have I, didn't to. Do that. I didn't do that much in college, but you know, you got to have a spin every now and then just to keep them on it in the, in the, you know, just kind of throw them off. And, and yeah, yeah. But really I feel like you can't, you can't work too many moves because it's like, it's better to have a thousand, it's better to be good at one kick and practice it a thousand times than to have a thousand kicks and practice them all one time and not be too good at any of them. So I feel like just finding a, a few moves that you know how to use and just having that, one, make one, two, maybe three counters off of that move. Uh, I feel like it really sets you up for success. Yeah, when I've talked to other edge defenders, a guy that comes to mind is LJ Collier, who was a first-round pick for the Seattle Seahawks a few years ago. And he yeah. was, his big first move was the bull rush. And it's like, hey, man, don't you need a counter? Don't you need other moves? He says, I only need one other move, and it's a counter. And I'll find it. But right now, my bull rush is my primary, and I'll find a counter. I think I've heard that from multiple guys. That's interesting you have that take yeah. as well. I want to talk let's, – let's, let's talk about another number 15 from Miami. I know you didn't get an opportunity to play with him in 2020, but Jalen Phillips, former five-star, played at UCLA for a couple years, then transferred to Miami. Miami. I know you said you watched every single Miami Florida game this year. What's your opinion of his game? Because that's another guy with a ton of tools, a ton of talent along the edge that was playing for Miami this year. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and the thing with Jalen, bro, he, one, he's a he's a freak of nature, and two, the hype is really real. You know, like even even me just watching when I wa- when I was watching Miami games, he really pops. Like when you watch when you watch a game, he just pops out the screen. Does a lot of great things. He, he can play he can play inside outside. He's super athletic, really versatile. And he also he also knows how to use his length for sure. See him throw a couple long arms with some chops, and I feel like he's gonna be a great player for sure. And he's legit. Jalen's legit, hundred percent. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of him. Him, you know, he's been mocked in the first round. You're obviously mocked inside the top 20 a ton. So I definitely, definitely yeah. excited about the prospects of both of you guys, yeah. man. I really appreciate I like, you. I feel like it will be super cool to see us both, like, go first round, God willingly. That would be, be a blessing, like, from the same school. We got the same number. Like, it's, I don't that's think sick. that's ever happened, you know? Like, <laughs> that's going to be crazy. I hope it happens. I'm, I'm praying for it to happen. This going to be dope. That would be awesome. I mean, they might have to retire the number after that or just give it to the best player. Who knows? Miami might have to have yeah. a tradition on their hands. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the pod. We'll have to get you on maybe again soon, maybe after your pro day or something along those lines. Talk more about your stock, the NFL, NFL draft, all those things. But again, best of luck, Greg, and I appreciate you. For sure. Thank you. Cool. In and out, baby. In and out in, what, 11 minutes? Love to see it. Well, I really appreciate it, man. I hope you uh, – I know you're staying busy, but uh, hopefully you find your breaks as well and uh, have fun watching the Super Bowl. For sure. You too. Who you got? I got Chiefs, man. I like Chiefs yeah. by four. I, they're favored for a reason. I know it's in Tampa Bay, but I, I just can't quit Patrick Mahomes, man. What about you? Yeah, I got the Chiefs. I got the Chiefs. So I, I feel like at this, at this point, you can't. it's hard to bet against the Chiefs. Cause you can't. Yeah, I don't want to bet. You're telling me I want to spend my Super Bowl Sunday betting against the Chiefs? Like, God, no. I want to watch Patrick Mahomes and root for the guy because he's, like, honestly the most fun-to-watch player in football right now. What are you doing yeah. for the Super Bowl? You just right. hanging out? With, are you, you hanging out with guys from Exos, or what are you gonna do? Yeah, I probably I probably watch the game with with guys from Exos for sure. Yeah. Who, who who are you hanging out with down there? I know Tutu Atwell is down there. Some other guys yeah. as well. Tutu, Nico Collins, uh, Chris Rump, Aziz, uh, um, Ojalar from Georgia. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talk about a cross chop. Aziz Ojalar's yeah. got the cross chop down. If you, <laughs> that yeah. guy is that's his favorite move for sure. I talked to him. Yeah. He was on the podcast a couple days ago. He's he's a fun yeah, guy. I saw. He's, he's legit, too. He's legit, too. It's been fun working with him, it's, and it's really fun to be out here working with different people because you really get to see, like, oh, he does this well, he does this well. You know, you get to take little things from other people's games and kind of and kind of just you can kind of incorporate it into your own game. So it's, it's been pretty cool working out here and meeting new guys, especially the new edge defenders that are out here. I bet, man. Well, I wish, I wish you, like I said, wish you the best of luck moving forward. Maybe we'll get you on again. For sure, for sure. Be safe, bro. Thank you. You too, man. Bye. The, the lineup we have for interviews is awesome. Greg Rousseau, a great addition for Monday. But I, I'm telling you what, I have a lot of other really good ones lined up here. Let me read you some of these guys. I have coming on the pod, Elijah Moore of Ole Miss. You're going to get Sean Wade of Ohio State, Quinn Miners of Wisconsin Whitewater, Annalee McNeil of NC State, all lined up for this week. And that's some more fun to, to watchers there. And some fun to watchers in there. I also got some NFL guys potentially on the hook. Tristan Wirfs has been on the podcast twice. Might bring him on after winning the Super Bowl. Also might bring on Antoine Winfield Jr. He's been on the podcast before. We're making moves here. And I really do like the structure of running a pod and then let's play some interviews, talk to some of these guys, because I do think it adds nice context and those things. But Gregor Rousseau, an awesome get. And we're going to continue to talk to these prospects all through. I, my goal is to get to 100 guys. I want to talk to 100 guys in this class. Well, and, um, you a know. Lot of guys. Uh, it's a lot of guys, but I'm going to make a play for it. We're going to be like talking to guys who are like, yeah, we got a seventh rounder on you. What do you Wait, think? If they got a good background, I'm all in. You know, there's some good backstory. I was going to say, they're going to sell you over if they have a notebook of opposing defensive line. That's all I face. need. That's all I need. That's all I need. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of 2 for 1 Drafts. Make sure you leave a five star review, send me a screenshot of the DMs. I'm giving away draft guys. You better freaking send them. Let's do it. But until next time, Austin Gale, producer Mike Quinn, Mike Renner, 2 for 1 Drafts.